The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information about Jason can be found at deroshi-meyer.org. If your heart has gotten excited about some of this material, um, just to let you know that I come from a college and a seminary. We've got a four-year undergraduate program, uh, an associate's in biblical worldview, a bachelor's in biblical studies with either a missions concentration or a biblical languages concentration, or a bachelor's in history of ideas, which is kind of a great books from Genesis, from creation all the way up to the modern day, looking at... um, all the greatest thinkers in history and literature and philosophy and science through a God-saturated lens. And then we've got a full seminary, four-year Master of Divinity program. And I just love where I get to teach. There's great schools down here, but if you're up for braving Minneapolis, it's a, it's a very sweet place. All right. The Lord is progressively giving me some energy here. Today I, um, today I was shivering and sweating. I, I rarely get sick and all of a sudden something hit me today. Um, but I feel like the Lord's giving me strength here. God promises to honor all who seek Him, who seek to exalt Him and not themselves. Just look at these texts. Those who honor me I will honor. Those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. By this is my Father glorified, that you would bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God chooses to use simple things to confound the wise, all in order to exalt his power. I love 2 Corinthians 4-7. Two weeks ago, I was sharing the gospel with a non-believer, and this up here is easy for me. Talking face-to-face with a non-believer, I feel like I'm stumbling. I feel like I'm, I'm struggling to get it out. How, how, sh- how can I communicate this well? Have you ever been there? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ is the treasure. We have that treasure in, it's just a jar of clay. That's all we are. And God determines that it would be this way so that the surpassing power is known to come from him and not from us. He doesn't want us to look great. He wants him to look great. So he lets us stumble and then he does great things. It's the way of our God. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. If I was born in the Old Testament age, I would never have been allowed to go to the temple. 
Because in the Old Testament, a, my, my biological father was gone before my mom even knew she was pregnant. And so I was born without a dad. And in light of the holiness of God, such children weren't even allowed to come to the temple for the rest of their, for their entire lives. And yet, into that world, Jesus has come and grabbed me and redeemed me and redeemed you. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom, the wisdom of God. That's what Jesus is. He is the righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All of that Jesus is for us. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in him. Now here's getting to some of the texts that I was pointing to earlier. As we're considering what takes place in the church age, Christ's work in the church age, in the overlap of the ages... God ordains that Christians would suffer for the sake of his name and in order to magnify his strength in our weakness. Acts 14. They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't act as though suffering is unexpected. We should expect it. We should expect pain because we're identified with our Savior who had to carry his own cross. And we too are called to do the same. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised, despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Why, Paul? But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let those who suffer according to God's will. Did you get that? Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Just hear this. And after you have suffered a little while, The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. It's going to happen. He will prove that he has overcome all things. We will be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. Overlap of the ages. Questions at this point? 
It's almost time for your quiz, so gear up. Jonathan. Sure. The question is, how do we reconcile the conquest in the Old Testament that was by a sword and not just the sword of God, it was in the agency of humans versus a kingdom that's now being expanded through sharing and through suffering rather than through a sword. Let me say a few things with respect to that very important question. Number one, we shouldn't be surprised that God judges sin. He did it at the flood. He did it with Sodom and Gomorrah. He does it with the Canaanites. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart am I giving you this land, but because of the wickedness of these nations. That's what's at stake. This isn't about nationalism. This isn't about racism. This is about sin and God being a good judge. But we still have to reconcile the fact that God uses instruments, human instruments. What's going on? It wasn't that, I believe, the Canaanites were more wicked than any of the nations around them, let alone Israel. Indeed, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, when God says it's not because of your righteousness, for you're a stubborn people, at the end of that chapter, he actually uses the exact same word, wicked, that he used of the nations at the beginning of the chapter. Not because of your uprightness, but because of the wickedness of these nations. And at the end of the chapter, he calls Israel wicked. Using the exact same language. So even, even Israel was deserving of what the Canaanites had. So why is it that God has chosen this people at this time? Well, he's moving in to set up his holy place. This is sacred space, and so there's a house cleaning that is needed to take place. He's going to put his presence in their midst, and so he's cleaning out the sphere that he has claimed for his own. And the reality is that once the king comes who is the embodiment of the temple, not just a building, but a person. And once he begins to identify people with him, that temple will begin to expand. Right now it's expanding only in the spiritual realm. But the day is coming when the new Jerusalem that we are already identified with, says Hebrews chapter 12, you haven't come to Mount Sinai, you have already come to the new Jerusalem that is in heaven that Jerusalem will come to earth. And when it does, it will include house cleaning. All sin and all sinners will be done away with. And it will not only happen by the work of Christ, it will happen through the agency of his church. Let me read. The one who conquers, that is, perseveres all the way to the end, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with the rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, says Jesus. And I will give him the morning star. So not only will Jesus be the one, as it says in Psalm 2, who will crush with an iron rod all the enemies. He will actually do so through his church. 
So that Paul in Romans 16 can say it's the church that crushes the head of the serpent. I'll just read that text. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, church. So, my point at at this juncture is to say that it's not completely strange and foreign that God would not only take seriously sin and, and bring judgment on people, but that he would even use agents. He did so in the past and he will do so in the future. What's distinctive is that right now, we are in a a time of proclamation of peace, the year of the Lord's favor, where the kingdom is expanding and the same demonic forces that were at work in the Canaanites are still at work today. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and rulers of this present darkness. And so we're still engaging the same source, enemy. But we're not slaughtering the people. Because his kingdom is not of this world. So he's calling people in, gathering them in by persuasion, by preaching. And yet we're still engaged in a battle, and that battle will culminate in not just spiritual engagement, but in the actual people who have not surrendered to King Jesus being destroyed and thrown into the second death, Hades, forever. Um, So there's a progress that takes place in redemptive history. Not God's activities, his character never changes, but his purposes at different stages look differently. And we're at a stage where there's this window of peace, and he's building his church, but it won't last forever. And it's the culmination of what was hoped for ever since the book of Genesis. Israel was here for the sake of the world. So if all the world's hopes were on Israel, and all of Israel's hopes were on the king, then when the king does what he does, it not only solves Israel's problem, it solves the world's problem. And that's, that's where we're at right now. We're in the world finding its problem resolved, the curse being overcome as people surrender to King Jesus over and over again. But... We proclaim the terms of peace in light of the fact that the sword is coming. And we want to warn people of that. It's, it's growing in leaps and bounds in what's called the global south. In the 1040 window, Christianity is erupting. But it is in need of training, in need of guidance, but God is working in massive ways. You're right. The, there seems to be um, a shifting of the center uh, so that Africa is on the rise of sending out more missionaries globally than North America. I mean, that's, that's huge. And it's beautiful. 
We're not at the center of, the United States is not at the center of God's purposes. His church is. And, yeah, it's, it's a, that's, you can't call that a church place, even though historically the church was, you know, it grew up in that context. Now it's dark and dead in desperate need of renewal and mission. But I do believe God is advancing. You watch dispatches from the front and you see this is really working. I mean, God is in the darkest places on the move. Um, but the testimony is definitely the church historians see that, yeah, Christianity is still expanding. It's just not happening right here as much. We're, we're seeing it happen elsewhere. And we need to be aware of that and be eager to be involved in what's happening. All right, let's bring it home and then take a quiz. Mission accomplished. Here we have a renewal of so many of the images that we've seen to this point. This is the culmination, the apex of of all that God has been purposing. His mission is to establish himself. God reigns over God's people in God's land for God's glory to, to see his kingdom happen. Here we see the kingdom completed. I'll read this text in full in just a few minutes. The end. The display of the riches of God's glory. That's where we are headed. This is the story of God. It's his story and it will end with him being magnified over all. What if God, desiring to show his wrath, to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. If God is good... Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason DeRoshi, Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason DeRoshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at bcsmn.org. For more information on Dr. DeRoshi, visit online at deroshi-meyer.org. Proclaiming the kingdom and treasuring a God who rules, saves, and satisfies through covenant for His glory in Christ.